Welcome to Lives, a show exploring our experiences in the world and how we might live well. I'm Stuart Chittenden, and my guest today is Wendy Goldberg, Executive Director of TriFaith Initiative. We talk about Goldberg's professional experiences and faith journey that brought her to lead TriFaith Initiative, which she describes as an audacious experiment in peaceful proximity for three Christian, Muslim, and Jewish faith communities. Goldberg shares the building and modeling of positive communal relations and how they are even more important in these traumatic times of conflict. In this moment for me, in my heart, what I want to change in the world that I hope to witness in my lifetime is helping people to hold more than one truth at the same time. It touches every part of our world and it's hard work. As a founding board member and now executive director of TriFaith Initiative, Wendy Goldberg has for years been committed to fostering social change, religious pluralism, and inclusivity. In addition to her role at TriFaith, Goldberg chairs the Greater Omaha Chamber of Commerce's Commitment to Opportunity, Diversity, and Equity Code Advisory Council. She is also an advisory board member of the Journal of Interreligious Studies and UNO's Tell All the Truth project, and is an alumna of the Lead Diversity and Racial Equity Institute's Racial Equity Workshop. Goldberg holds a Master of Arts in Communication and a Graduate Certificate in Creative Writing from the University of Nebraska at Omaha. Wendy Goldberg, welcome to Lives. Thank you. Glad to be here. It feels right to start at the beginning and set some context. Uh, So could you tell me just a little bit about what was the faith context of your childhood? So I was recently asked to do an activity about drawing the river of my life. And other people in my cohort drew pictures of rambling rivers with um, barriers and waterfalls and cliffs. And I drew a picture of a huge water expanse with the tree with very deep roots growing out of it. I'm a fourth generation Omahan. I have had the beautiful opportunity to be part of a community of meaning within the Jewish community. That is a privilege and that has afforded me the opportunity to be, to become, um, both spiritually in that I was raised in the conservative denomination at Bethel. And then after I had a bat mitzvah, I told my parents um, that even though that is where they were married and their whole story was um, in Jewish community, that I identified as a Reformed Jew and I would like to belong to Temple Israel at 13. They had the grace to join a second congregation so that I could feel at home and um, in my heart, pray with my feet. Uh, My spiritual journey is very much about justice and community and the intersection of meaning. So a community of meaning is what I was seeking. And uh, I have found that in Omaha, Nebraska. So I want to explore that just a a little bit further then. How did you know at that 
pretty young age when many of us are just kind of forming who we are as people. How did you know that you wanted to take your faith in a direction that wasn't necessarily the same as your family's? Well, there were a lot of high school opportunities that were available, and there were a lot of cute guys who were part of the youth group. Um, so let's be real. You know, it, it's about um, who you're with, relationships. And that was foundational for me. Rabbi Brooks was the rabbi at the time, and he's a legend. And I wanted the opportunity in high school to learn with that community and from him. I think those are foundational to the reasons that I felt called in. You also mentioned, I think quite powerfully, this idea of a a community of uh, togetherness, a community of justice. But these seem to be really uh, essential elements of a harmonious society, also really noble human values. But again, uh, forming these and identifying those when you're quite young. I'm, I'm curious about how did those values, as it were, or maybe the lack of those in the real world, how did that show up in your life? What was it that was moving you to identify them as something that was really important to you at that point? I think for me, all of that is based in family and largely at a table that extends with food. And the opportunity to be intergenerational, to witness what my grandparents and their grandparents did, how the roles and responsibilities of women have changed over time, and how I was able to witness an appreciation for that. My mother was raised in an intergenerational home. Uh, she lived in her grandparents' home during the war. And those stories permeated our family holiday tables. And there was also room for critique. You know, there was always the, my, my grandmother was one of three sisters. And as much as those sisters loved each other, they poked at each other. And, and all of those families and their children and their children were around the table for the Passover Seder. And I have such appreciation for the ability for my family to have valued that we could come together, that everyone had a role and a responsibility, whether that was in reading the Haggadah or in preparing the meal or in saying it was long enough, it was time to start stop, right? So there was also a difference as I matured to an adult with children that my brother became the host of the Passover Seder. And he rejected the model of our childhood and created every year kind of a performance art experience for my children to have a new generation of what does the story of the Exodus for the Jewish people mean and how do we make it relevant in the year that we were experiencing? This last year, we spent talking about what freedom meant in the context of the war in Ukraine. And that's what Reform Judaism is for me. It's the opportunity not to be judged because of the ritual or observance level, but to know that I've I am able and responsible for 
being part of something that extends from generation to generation, but is movable and changeable in a way that is heart-centered and people-centered. And in the end, it helps us to understand where we came from and where we want to go. For me, that's what religion and community is. And I'm afraid for too many people, it has become about judgments and rights and wrongs. And I reject those ideas. There's a line from your longer form bio that I didn't read. And it it says that uh, your journey is a testament to the transformative power of interfaith cooperation and the unwavering commitment to creating a better world for all. What you were just sharing just then really brought home to me that you're talking about a living faith, a faith that you express in the world, it's practiced, it's not hidebound to tradition that, that doesn't serve today's application of the values that are an intrinsic part of your faith. But I wonder if that's a fair interpretation. It feels to me as if you're doing your utmost to live into the faith and to shape how you practice your faith and how your brother is practicing this faith in a way that actually has real application and relevance and interpretability to today's world. But I don't know if that's a fair you know, analysis. Uh, so you, you tell me, does this feel right to you? It does. At, at Tribe Faith, we talk about five Bs, and it feels appropriate for me to bring those up here. So the first one is belief. And for Wendy Goldberg, the belief part's hard. I struggle with the word God, and I'm grateful that I'm Jewish because the word Israel itself means to struggle with God, and I have permission to have doubt and to turn that around and be okay in the struggle. The next part is about behavior. And I really appreciate that within Reform Judaism, I have choice about I don't keep kosher, but I care deeply about what I contribute to our ecosystem and how what I eat matters both for my vessel and the world around me. Those are examples of how I live into my Judaism through my behaviors. And I might not, well, I do not keep the Sabbath from an orthodox perspective, but I look really hard from sundown on Friday through sundown on Saturday to separate what is sacred from everything else and to make time to notice. I try to do that every day. I think that's my version of religiosity. Belonging is probably the most important B for me because that community of meaning and community within family on a broad global context, we are sisters and brothers, and that we are forever interconnected, belonging. The ones that we've added, belief, behavior, and belonging, lots of religious traditions talk about. At TriFaith, we're talking about becoming, because I told you that my religious tradition and my journey has veered from my families, 
But I'm witnessing so many people who are interested in a community of meaning, but not their grandma's version. We want to make space for that in our world. And also, there are so many people that the intersections of their identity, they might be Jewish but married to someone Catholic or all other kinds of iterations of that. We need to foster a world for however people relate to religion and knowing that that is an evolution. We are constantly changing. And finally, body. Because if I was a black or brown person, my experience as a Jew would be different than my experience as someone who is white presenting. If I wore a head covering or dressed modestly, how I would be perceived in the world would be different. And all of those things I bring up as we enter a conversation about interreligious dialogue because it matters how we are in relationship to each other and how we don't flatten each other to one part of our religious understanding or part of our religious identities. So this does seem like a great time then to um, jump into tri-faith and we can come to your involvement in it in a second. But many people will know what the tri-faith initiative is, but I don't want to assume that. So would you mind just sharing. What is the Tri-Faith Initiative and, and what was its genesis? So the Tri-Faith Initiative grew out of 9-11, some Jewish people in Omaha, Nebraska showing up at a mosque to stand in solidarity, literally to stand in silence, to show that no harm should come to people who use the same vocabulary as those who had done evil things. And we know within all of our traditions, there are bad actors and there are good people. So that was where relationships started. Potlucks and picnics grew out of that. And ultimately, we decided to build an audacious experiment in Omaha, Nebraska, that is the co-location of a church, a mosque, a synagogue, and an interfaith center. Fast forward from 2006, when we wrote a memorandum of understanding to 2020 in the middle of a pandemic, we completed our co-location. And our mission for that 15 years was to be focused on building bricks and mortar, to build a neighborhood. And now, after we've been through a pandemic, we've been through clergy transitions, racial reckoning, and now a war, I believe our mission, well, our mission literally is to advance interfaith relationships and understanding. But in this moment for me, in my heart, what I want to change in the world that I hope to witness in my lifetime is helping people to hold more than one truth at the same time. And I believe that's necessary to preserve our democracy, our religious institutions, our education system, healthcare. It touches every part of our world. And it's hard work. We're more than 20 years on now. Does it feel still like an experiment? Or does this feel like um, it's maybe in its teenage years, uh, if I can use that figuratively? I hope it's always an experiment because the kind of work we're trying to do here in Omaha, Nebraska, that I want all of Omaha to be very proud of, requires that on an ongoing basis we take risks and test the edges. I also think that in order to move hearts, I might not ever in my lifetime be able to check a box for social cohesion. But if I can invite people to be curious, 
about those edges to hear people's story differently, to counter the social media feeds that are literally algorithms that are driving us apart, that we are all taking in our news in an a la carte method, that the Tri-Faith Initiative is the opposite of that. It's an opportunity to sit with people across difference, to build on our similarities. The similarities connect us, but our differences help us to grow. And for me, and I hope for many others, there's an opportunity for something I call holy envy. And that's that opportunity to witness the divine or a beautiful spark that exists in a relationship between people or a practice in their belief or their behavior. An example for me is I love going to prayer at the mosque and witnessing women in particular because the genders are separate, but we'll go and I'll witness as they wash and prepare for prayer. And then to come in and for many of them in their heart to submit to God. I've already told you, that's not something I do well. That's something I really struggle with. And yet, for me to witness someone hold their hands out and open to a source beyond them, that holy envy for me to witness and yearn for a sense of awe and wonder that they have and I don't, that's not coveting. That is a genuine hope for something bigger than me. And when I see that in others, that helps me to realize that our differences, our colors and our cultures that permeate Omaha are beautiful. I was raised in a really homogenous bubble. I grew up in Jewish Omaha in all the best ways. My friends were Jewish. My community was Jewish. My school had a large population of Jewish people. And I saw that as a strength. And I still see it as a strength. But the opportunity to have people in my life who have had different experiences and understand their truths that they hold as dearly as I hold mine, that is making me a better person. It's making my world more vibrant. I am wondering how your faith perspectives, how your faith practices have shifted because of what you've learned or experienced in interacting in this pluralistic way. I think the biggest question for me has been, am I able to find holiness in spaces other than the space I, my religious tradition says I'm supposed to feel it in? And the answer for me is yes. And actually, because I was on staff at the synagogue for six years, I know how the sausage is made there. And sometimes when I'm there, I'm more worried about whether the sound system is working right or the announcement is going to be made or the lighting feels right. And when I'm in someone else's space, I'm able to be more introspective. And also, when I'm in the 
the Jewish space, a beautiful part is kind of who you see and who you know, right? That's a piece of community. And I'm an introvert in an extrovert's job. So when I'm in spaces um, that are not my home turf, I'm able to be the introvert part of myself that I have a lot of comfort with. I'm, I'm curious if you're aware of, if you have any awareness of how other people have perhaps shifted their own sense of faith, perspectives on their own religion because of the work that you're doing. One of our founders, Bob Freeman, often says that in order to be in religious dialogue or inter-religious dialogue, you have to be able to speak to your own faith tradition. So for many people, including Bob and I know others, it deepens your ability to articulate how you do religion so that you can ask questions and be curious. But, and so you, you deepen your own understanding of your own faith as you learn about others because we're comparing and contrasting in our lived experiences. That's interesting because then in some ways that becomes um, holy envy turns into, what's the expression, uh, holy appreciation? I'm not sure, but it, it, it amplifies your own sense of what is holy about your own faith. Right. Isn't that beautiful? It is. Logistically, Tri-Faith Initiative is not itself a religious institution. It's a, and, and I'll ask you to provide the language for me, but it, it seems to be a bridge, a connector, a means to network these religious institutions in ways that are educational, informative, um, they provoke some holy envy, some holy appreciation. So how does Tri-Faith actually operate to fulfill its goal? It's, it, it's not a religious institution as such, but it, it's operating in all those spaces in between. So our partners, Temple Israel, Countryside Community Church, and the American Muslim Institute are religious organizations, and they do the devotional stuff. Tri-Faith Initiative and the Tri-Faith Center, we are an educational interfaith nonprofit. And our intention is to be a thought leader, to do education, to do advocacy, and maybe even more than any of those things, to be a hub and a convener, not only for topics of religion, but of great inspiration. It's an awesome place to come and visit when you're in the presence of the possibility of the co-location of a church, a mosque, a synagogue, and an interfaith center, particularly on land that was once a social club exclusively for Jewish people. And now we've broken that business model. It's kind of like a glass ceiling, right? We've, we've recreated this land. Literally, there is a creek that runs through us that's called Hell Creek, and we built Abraham's Bridge around Hell Creek to literally and figuratively connect us. There's an opportunity for us to care deeply in this moment about what religious pluralism means. The opportunity to practice religion according to our Constitution, meaning that at the Tri-Faith Initiative, if religion is core to your identity, that it centers you and guides you every day, or if religion is part of your trauma story, there is room for you to be part of what we are doing. 60% of the people who show up to our programming or give us money 
are not a member of one of the three congregations. And as a matter of fact, as we've responded to the geopolitical situation and came out with a unified statement on October 7th, within 24 hours, to say, we are united in our call for change. Interfaith organizations in Chicago and Minneapolis mirrored our words to their audiences, and people from San Francisco to Philadelphia responded to say, we are cheering for you and we want you to be able to stay in relationship. That's just profound. I do want to get a little more uh, of your own personal story about how you came to be in this place. So you shared a little bit about your childhood, your faith background, your family background, but you didn't immediately jump into uh, this kind of work. However, it's pretty clear that as a child, justice and community values around social harmony were important to you. I'm curious how you sort of made some of the choices you made in your life and some of the first steps you took in your career path before you came into this uh, position at TriFaith. So uh, I read out in your bio that you have a Master of Arts degree in communication. You also do creative writing. What were some of the motivations uh, as you were going to college about what you wanted to study and, and what you perhaps thought your life was going to become? I went to college as a 20-something, and that was not a good experience for me. Um, and I quit with one semester to go. And I moved back to Omaha, and I followed my dream, which was 2.5 children, a white picket fence, and... Um, a happy marriage. And I wanted to be a mom. Um, and I did that for a long time. And I'm still doing it. I have grown up children and those those are different responsibilities and, and equally challenging. And I was always very involved as a volunteer in the Jewish community. I was involved in creating the preschool at the JCC, the Penny Davis uh, Child Development Center. It's, um, and I was very involved in Temple Israel. I was the fourth woman to ever be president of Temple Israel and the youngest. And my tenure as president of Temple Israel was from 2005 to 2007, which means that when the idea surfaced of the Tri-Faith Initiative, I was president of the congregation and the person who was invited to a meeting to say, will you endorse this as an idea? As we know that we want to move a bit west in Omaha, what if we are intentional about our neighbors? So I had a very early seat at that table. My job um, as president ended because we have term limits. And I joined the staff of the synagogue knowing that we were intending to be in this partnership in 2009. And I worked at Temple Israel raising money to build a new building, doing volunteer engagement, communication, and adult education for six years. My last year, I applied for a job at UNMC, and I couldn't check the box in an online application form that I had a bachelor's degree. And although I had someone who said you were able to raise money to build this building and move hearts and minds for this big project, we can't even interview you which was impetus to finish my bachelor's degree. So my last year working um, at 
Temple Israel full-time. I went to school at UNO full-time. I finished my bachelor's degree. And because my 20-year-old self might have had some indiscretions, I needed to take two extra classes to get academic amnesty, which is a really important thing to realize, that it's you're able, your 50-year-old self is able to clear your record for your 20-year-old self. I think healing happens. You know, that's a good model also. And I decided I wanted to take those extra classes because I wanted a master's degree and I couldn't apply for a master's degree with my GPA of my 20-year-old self. So um, that was a beautiful experience and I followed by getting a master's in communication. And um, I was having some uh, struggles in my transition from being um, uh, having an empty nest and doing creative writing um, was healing for me. And so I added that um, to the experience. I went from there to work at Project Harmony for three years. And at working at Project Harmony, I learned um, about co-location, right? The Project Harmony is a co-location of the Omaha Police Department, the Department of Health and Human Services, and the Child Welfare Organization. And I had the great honor of working on a project to help us quantify outcomes, to take long case notes and make them into ways that we could have measurable understanding to make a difference. And I also had a lot of time to work on uh, helping the organization look at grant coordination and performance management. It was as if I was doing a private study that would all these pieces would prepare me to be invited to be on staff at the Tri-Faith Initiative. We did a national search. We had hired an executive director. He came to Omaha in 2018 in March and in April he and I had breakfast and he asked if I would consider in January of 2019 joining as his associate director. I said yes and for um, six months I had private lined copies on many emails. I went to national conventions about interfaith work and uh, I joined him on January 2nd of 2019. On February 4th I received an email with an allegation of Me Too against him. There were 18 allegations that followed, and that he was immediately dismissed, and I was made interim executive director. I was that for 18 months until March 10th, 2020, where I was in a room with all of our board, all of our staff, all of our clergy. I was named executive director. They passed my strategic plan, and we were all exposed to COVID in patient zero. It was really a remarkable opportunity because March 16th, we were scheduled to have Priya Parker and the Art of Gathering at the CHI Center. We canceled that. We pivoted and we had 400 people scheduled to come in person. And we had an online event, one of those early Zoom adapters on April 3rd. And we had 1,006 people join us from a global audience. The following July, we had our grand opening, and we did a play called One More Chair. Uh, so our virtual grand opening was a beautiful play about eight people on Zoom struggling with religious difference in the middle of a pandemic in a conversation on Zoom. It was local artist, uh, Bo Bearfeld wrote the play. It was stunning. And from there, we've grown and matured so that we understand that our responsibility is fostering this collaboration between these three partners who went through COVID, who have had clergy leave and clergy transitions, who are questioning what the religious landscape looks like for them. 
And now we are entering a new chapter. All of our board members have rolled off. I've been in this seat for four years. I have eight staff myself make eight. And we are ready for this chapter to address how to help people hold more than one truth at the same time, how to value religious difference. And I believe that crisis helps us go deeper, deeper in relationship and understanding. At the moment that we're recording this, we're a few weeks into the uh, Gaza war and there are inflamed tensions. And even before this, we could see anti-Semitism and Islamophobia on the rise and that has only become exacerbated across the world, but certainly we are not immune to that in our local community. How is Tri-Faith, how are your religious institution partners navigating this difficult time, noting what you shared, that we're looking to hold more than one truth at the same time? So I want to start at October 7th and to condemn Hamas and terrorism and the taking of hostages and the, the terror of that day. There's nothing that's okay about that. And I, as a Jewish person nearing 60, have never experienced anti-Semitism personally and never feared about the concept of the extermination of the Jewish people or a call for that in my lifetime. That was something I thought my grandparents had to deal with. And I'm afraid. I think it's scary. I think it's real, and it hurts to see the calls um, to devalue or dehumanize any person based on their religious tradition. And in my role, I am called to walk between two communities, and that is a very narrow bridge. And I am able to see the pain of our partners at the mosque and globally, not only of the loss of life in Gaza, but in Sudan and Afghanistan and, and, right? And the rise of religious nationalism in general is threatening all of us, all of our freedoms. And I don't know that we have good leaders globally to help us mediate all of the pain that we are walking through. So how we are doing it is to try, and it's not easy, to understand that the global sentiments include words like the extermination of the Jewish people or the genocide of Palestinians. And those are horribly painful words. We're not pointing fingers of accountability. And yet, we are divided because words hurt and words have been said and social media divides and public statements are hurtful. But private conversations are helpful. And there are opportunities for us to come together, to hear each other, 
we are going to each other's houses of worship to witness prayer. We are checking on each other. And I, I hope that if anyone listening is wondering what to do, what can you do for a Jewish or Muslim person in this moment, you can text them and say, hey. You don't have to say anything more than that. Just say, hey. That's enough. That's how the Tri-Faith Initiative started. Remember I told you on 9-11, Jews showed up for Muslims quietly in solidarity. And that's what we need. We need to reach out to each other and care about each other and to appreciate that we are not going to agree on a resolution. We're not going to agree on the next steps. But we can agree that the relationship matters, that we can hold space for each other in our pain and be brave and curious in our ability to hear each other's pain and to know that it exists. When we try to reduce this conflict to only one version of pain, we will not find our way out on the other side. I'm so honored to tell you about the week that we've had at TriFaith. We had a board meeting. It's our annual meeting this Tuesday. We were able to have people from all three congregations come for a shared meal. We were able to hold our meeting and honor our outgoing founding board members to tell the stories of what inspired them and to learn from them the lessons of what held them in this experiment for 20 years. We laughed, we cried, we got updates from our spiritual leaders to learn that they are doing pastoral care, they are holding weddings and funerals, they are having transitions in leadership of their staffs also, um, and that there's a lot of similarities in how we are holding space for community. And that at the end, we were able to pass a budget, we were able to you know, vote unanimously for a new slate of officers. Those are small acts but small acts are remarkable in this context. And I hope that people from across the globe are looking to Omaha, Nebraska to say, staying in relationship is the answer. How do you hold and sustain tri-faith so it can survive, while at the same time knowing that you have your own pain and knowing too that the big picture isn't one that tri-faith is going to solve? So many tensions, so many things being pulled out. I, I I don't know how you're managing to do that. How are you keeping your hope that it, it'll hold? I'm one person. I don't want to say anything less than it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my whole life. I've had some really bad days and some days that I don't know that my days ended with a hopeful scenario, right? You know, sometimes I come home and reading the news is just more than I can hold. I have a lot of confidence in my staff. I have a lot of confidence in my board. I have a lot of confidence in our partners on the TriPath Commons that we've invested so much that we will, we will thrive. We will not just survive, we will thrive. But I don't wanna make light of, of it's too much. It's too much and we, we can't do it 
if there aren't more people who want us to be successful, who want to join us to believe that um, that it's okay for me to stand with Israel and to care deeply about what is happening to people who live in Gaza. It's okay for me in my role and for others to join me to be critical of the Israeli government and not call that anti-Semitic. To be critical of the U.S. government and hold my Christian partners responsible for countering the rise of white Christian nationalism. These are hard things to talk about in public spaces because for my lifetime, talking about religion and politics was taboo. And so now we're saying that in order to create a society that has equity and that people feel a space of belonging, we need to learn how to talk about those things. We need to hold space for people. And that's when we go back to it's still an experiment because we have to be able to take risks. We have to remember that it's not going to be perfect and we are going to make mistakes and we're going to have to forgive each other. We're going to, in the coming months, have to sit together and vent and say the things that have been hurtful and harmful that we have done for each other. And we're going to have to find a path for forgiveness. And we're going to have to document that story because it's a really good story and it's going to have a happy ending. We're recording this the week before there is a silent vigil at the Tri-Faith campus. But this show will air after that, that vigil has taken place. The vigil itself will be held silently. There will be no flags or banners and there'll be no speeches but it will be at the physical location of these three uh, religious institutions on the Tri-Faith Initiative campus. Would you talk just a little bit more about the underpinnings as to why this silent vigil and why structured this way? So the first reason it's structured this way is security. The work we're doing increases the threat that people don't like what we're doing. Yet, we need to be brave and create space for people uh, who feel called to gather. And to be quite frank, we're not ready and we don't have the right words. And it's okay to go slowly. It's okay to take pauses. It's okay to make space for the quantity of grief we are holding right this minute. And that's what we're modeling. We're saying, yes, we know we are going to need to sit together and that will not be easy and it will be long. I say low and slow, right? Low pressure, slow pace. And this is just a step. Literally, come take a step with us. We host United We Walk, which is an opportunity every fall as a fundraiser for us for people to walk the walk right? This is a mini version of that. We know what it feels like to walk around the bridge, to bridge difference, to walk that walk. And we want to give people the opportunity 
to have that experience and we thought it was too much to expect of each other to be ready for more. That is not a complacency with being silent. That doesn't mean we don't have things to say. We are saying things privately. We will say more things publicly as we learn what works. But right now, we're valuing that each community is carrying for its congregation and that they deserve the autonomy to do that as they see fit. Of course, in doing a little research before the show, naturally I went onto a social media platform and I saw a testimonial about you. And someone in all caps said about you, she gets things done. <laughs> and I'm really getting that sense that you do. You see something that's worth doing and then you are doing it. How do you describe yourself? How, how do you think of yourself as a person, a character? So the best title I ever had was project manager. I, I see myself as a catalyst. I like to bring together the people, the resources, and the process to move from point A to point B. And often in my life, I have not cared as much about what the project was as moving from point A to point B. I really appreciate the opportunity to gather those resources, to look at a big picture problem and say, what are the ways that we can influence change and to work together towards that goal? That brings me great fulfillment in life. You really warmly shared your own family context but how you took a slightly different direction on how you wanted to live into your faith and live into your life. But now we're moving into Thanksgiving uh, next week and we have a whole other host of family obligations and opportunities. And I'm just wondering, as you look at your own family and the next generation, are they crafting their own form of uh, faith practices or views on the world? Religion's complicated in families. And I care deeply that my children and their children, hopefully someday, if that's what they choose, are respected for the intersectional identities that matter to them. And they have different ways to find community of meaning. Some of them line up with things I understand and some of them test me every day. And I think that it's most important that we look with curiosity to the people that we love most to give them the grace and the space to become what fills their bucket and makes them loved and lovable. And that's my aspiration for my own children, is that they feel loved and that they are lovable. I have a strong sense from you that you are living with meaning and insofar as we ever know what this means living into a sense of purpose but how does that feel to you does that feel accurate do you feel like you are living with meaning living into some purpose that makes sense to you i'm just as human as everybody else i have you know icky thoughts too and i um am hard on myself and i'm 
sometimes hard on others. And I make mistakes and I'm broken and I try very intentionally to show my vulnerabilities. I have struggled. I have struggled with my marriage. I've struggled being a parent. Um, I've um, struggled keeping faith. And I think that in and of itself is a practice to keep me whole. And that if we could be more generous with space for people to realize how much we are holding and how poorly we are prepared to carry what we're carrying, that we would live, um, I don't know that it's meaning, I think it's compassion. And I, I want to help to craft a world that has more compassion. I think that's a priority for me. My guest today has been Wendy Goldberg, the Executive Director of TriFaith Initiative. Wendy, it's been heartbreaking on occasion, but it's been a real pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you. Lives is brought to you on KIOS Omaha Public Radio and is produced by Courtney Beerman. The music you hear playing in and playing out is performed by Andrew Bailey. Podcasts of today's show and others can be found at livesradioshow.com or where you get your podcasts. Subscribe today and please leave a review. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden. Join me next week as we delve further into the practical and profound possibilities of living well. Thanks for listening. Thank you.